Hello and welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon. And today we have a recurring guest, our old friend, star of GB News, the people's gammon. It is Mr. Paul Cox. Thanks for coming back and doing the show again, Paul. My pleasure. A recurring guest sounds like some sort of condition, like heartburn, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have right. a recurring guest? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure how to phrase it and I got it, I got it badly wrong. Um, I thought we'll just go with whatever. Recurring, yeah. I think it's a privilege. You and Leo it's have come no back. Is. Rory, you're part of it. We're doing a kind of, you know, it's a part of the banter, topical banter series. We have the big guest, Paul. Not that you're not big, of course. You're huge, well, not, but, you know. Not on terms we, of platform of yours. But, uh. <laughs> we have the guest, well, it's an interview, and we're very serious, but we also have the um, topical bants, which is this category. And um, I thought we'd go into, I mean, firstly, how are you? Are you all right? I'm okay, thanks, Nick. It, uh, yeah, all good. Yeah, busy, busy times. Lots of GB news going on, but uh, not complaining. Yeah, you're doing a lot of GB news shows, I hear. <laughs> yeah, you're on there all the yeah. time. Uh, Mainly headliners, of course, where you've stolen yeah, my nickname. I called myself the People's Presenter at one point, and I called you the Thinking Man's Gammon. You've kind of stolen both of those and synthesized uh, them into the yeah, People's uh, Gammon. Just and but I, I am starting to credit you because I, at first I just used to use it, but it, you started it, and I mistook what you said. So when I said the people's gammon, I didn't think I need to change. I didn't need to change what you said. I just mistook it, and just it just it's just stuck because in my head I took the people's news channel, which of course is is GB News, and gave, and just went on the people's gammon. But yeah, that absolutely started with you, Nick. And of course, online, I was more and more being called a gammon because I dared to have some sort of traditional views. I happen to be white and I'm middle-aged, so those are all evil. So I'm just yeah. leaning into it. I'm just leaning into it. I'm enjoying the uh, process. Just own it. Own it, sister. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Yes, You're cool. owning it very, very hard. That's great. Uh, yeah, and you're doing very well. Um, people love you on gb so that is great obviously some people hate you but that's that's the game isn't it yeah, well, yeah. Um, i don't know how they could hate paul cox I, I i can understand people hating nick dixon but i don't know how you hate oh paul i don't cox. know they don't know you well enough nick you're all cuddly mm. yeah i know but i can see how like i'm a bit of like i can see like seem like a, a far right smart ass to the untrained eye rather than of course everyone just, is far right yeah rather than everyone just a friendly right. friendly liberal guy yeah which is what i really am of course just a just a nice guy, but um, yeah, but I, I can't imagine anyone hating you, Paul. I mean, Lewis, yeah, Leo winds people up, but I can't see how they could hate old Paul Cox. But there you go, well, we're in a let's swing. Let's put it to the test over the next couple of years, Nick. See what, yeah, see yeah. What I thought we'd get into some topical things because this is um, well, hopefully it'll come out shortly after we record it. And as we record, everything is kicking off. Lee Anderson has just been suspended minutes ago as we record. By the time this comes out, maybe on Monday, it'll be old hat, but it's a hot story at the moment. But I thought we'd talk about this whole episode and it's all been kicking off ever since this House of Commons debacle. So we had this, it's a bit complicated, but basically uh, Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House, allowed a Labour amendment to an SNP motion calling for an immediate ceasefire to the Israel-Gaza situation, which sparked fury amongst the SNP and Conservative MPs. This is from the BBC, who accused him of breaking with parliamentary convention, which he had. So Labour had shifted its position on the war, calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. But the government put forward its own amendment. Now, by parliamentary convention, an opposition party amendment, in this case Labour's, to a motion submitted by another opposition party, SNP, is not put to a vote when there is also a government amendment. It's a bit complicated. So, but there were representations made to the common speaker by Keir Starmer and others, and he decided 
to sort of, well, some would say capitulate to that. And he then admitted he'd made a big mistake, but he, he claimed he had a duty of care and his mistake was looking after members. And the reason he said that was that Labour MPs were being intimidated by Islamists and other kind of pro-Palestinian demonstrators and so on, and feeling like they had to be seen to do this vote, basically, otherwise they'd be in danger, essentially. And so he felt he was protecting them. So what he did was essentially capitulate to terrorists. He said he didn't want to ever... He says, uh, so Lindsay issued a, issues a further apology while emphasising his concerns about MP security, saying, I never ever want to go through a situation where I pick up a phone to find a friend of whatever side has been murdered by terrorists. So he just admitted that's why he did it. Shocking scenes all around. What was your take, Paul? Yeah, he, he actually said the quiet bit out loud there, didn't he? And that, this, this keeps happening because you can't really suppress the truth for too long. I felt sorry for Sir Lindsay Hoyle at the time, and I still retain quite a bit of that. What I'm really interested, there's so much to unpack here, trying to compartmentalise it. Even as you as explained it then, you're still forming your opinions on it. Now, when it first happened, I saw this clearly as Labour leadership putting pressure on a Labour MP, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, who happens to be uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons, and also has been a very good Speaker of the House of Commons, especially when compared with John Burko, and we remember those dark days, uh, pre-2020, and put pressure on Lindsay Hoyle in order, I felt, to save his own bacon because he knew he was going to get a bit of a backbench rebellion. However, what was revealed as this went on is it wasn't just that. I still think it was that, and I still think if they took the vote today, he'd have that problem. But it wasn't just that. So in order... To explain what it was, Lindsay Hoyles has had to say what he genuinely believes and what a lot of people are saying quietly in the corridors of Parliament. And that's that there is this threat from a very small minority of people, uh, of Islamist extremists. And they are making threats, sexual threats against MPs and their wives. They are making threats against the children and the families of MPs. Very serious stuff. And the reason people are taking it so seriously is because it's demonstrably true that it's happened previously. I mean, I don't want to reel off all of the Islamist attacks that have taken place in London alone in the last five to ten years, but because we're all aware of them. And they probably don't get the sort of airtime that they should. And we talk about things like being kind on social media and dampening down the rhetoric, etc., etc., which all seem to be these huge diversions around what the actual issue is. But what's some really extraordinary things have happened. First extraordinary thing happened was the Tories and SNP united in, in the moment, which is something you don't see at all very often. And we had, we, had, we had MPs like Lee Anderson saying that he felt sympathy for the SNP. It should have been the SNP's day. Now, I don't, I don't suppose for a minute that he would have sympathised with the SNP at all uh, on the day. However, what he said is true, and uh, the SNP really didn't get to... to to have the debate that they wanted. And it, it was torpedoed by the Labour Party. You know, I, I tweeted about this and a lot of people come back to me and said, how could you possibly think this is Labour? And it, it's really easy. It was a Labour MP, who is the Speaker, being put pressure on by the Labour Party to stop a debate which would have taken a place across Parliament. Now, that was the only reason that that happened on Wednesday evening. Now, of course, the underlying issue, it appears, are these threats. Now, we'll get into this, I'm sure. Obviously, there aren't 60 million Muslims 
in the UK. So the threat is there, and we have to be honest about it, but it comes still from a minority. I think my statistics are right when I say there are about 7 million Muslims in the UK. And it would be, it would be remiss for me to say that not all of them are, of course, extremists. Um, but if we don't talk about the element that are, they're kind of free to continue to threaten us. And we've been very unstatesmanlike in the way that Parliament has operated this week. What I think we should have done, which is much more difficult and probably puts people at risk, is stand resolute to it and say, no, that's not what's going to happen. You know, we we have to stick to convention. Our Parliament's thousands of years old and uh, we, we need to make sure we stick to that that, that, that constitution and we and we didn't and it set a precedent and Lizzie Hall to be fair to apologise almost immediately then apologised again I think some people have got away with things here I think so Lindsay Doyle Hoyle not Doyle I keep saying Doyle because of our our, our great leader Andrew uh, but he's got away with it slightly he, he, he probably would have got sacked very quickly had he not mentioned the Islamist extremist element to this and of course the Labour Party, I'm going to call for the Speaker to stand down. Um, obviously, the SNP have done and some MPs have done. I think Sunak has stopped short unless I've missed something today. He has said up until this point he has some serious concerns. So I think we find ourselves in a position where I hope what Lindsay Hoyle has done is actually express his real concern and he hasn't done it to cover uh, the Labour's senior team's backside, which I fear could also be true. Uh, but we are left now with this aftertaste, which is we capitulated and we, you know, what level of issue do we have? And it's led into other stories that, of course, have happened since. And I know we're going to discuss that, Nick. Yeah. So should Lindsay Hoyle go, do you think, or, or are you, you're sympathetic, you say he shouldn't go? I, I thought he would go. I, I am sympathetic to Lindsay Hoyle. I genuinely think he's a good guy. He seems to approach things up until, up, I must say, up until Wednesday. Right up until that point, I'd have had no problem with him being in that seat. Now, what he did was a huge error of judgment. Um, however, if he did it for uh, the reasons that he's saying he did it for, it's understandable. I just think he could have been a little bit more open and honest about it. We could have had the debate against that backdrop instead of, at the time, quite clearly masking that as an issue. So I think he now stays in that seat because it's, you know, why would you disrupt now? There's a lot of other things going on. Um, and if he has deliberately manipulated it to save himself, he's done a great job. If he's deliberately manipulated to save Keir Starmer, he's also done a good job because none of the focus at the moment is on Keir Starmer. I think it should be. Yeah, true. Slippery Starmer. Slippery Starmer. We were talking on the, on the Weekly Skeptic about what, what name Trump might have for Starmer. Spineless Starmer. Boring Starmer. We had a few different ideas. Folks, he's so spineless. This guy, this guy is he's so spineless. Anyway, um, yeah, so Starmer, slippery, slippery Starmer getting out of it again. But yeah, I lost all sympathy for Hoyle when I saw this video Leo shared. Now, Leo actually got the date wrong initially. It was Leo Curse misinformation because he said it was it just happened, but it was actually from February 1st, but all the points still yeah, stood so because it was a video of Lindsay Hoyle talking after Mike Freer had stepped down under Islamist intimidation. He had stepped down as an MP. There'd been an arson attack and death threats. And it, and yet this video with Lindsay Hoyle had all the usual mealy mouth stuff about white fundamentalists and far-right extremists, didn't mention Islam once, 
did mention Sir David Ames right at the end. He was, of course, brutally murdered by a radical Islamist. So it was really disgusting stuff. And I just said, you know, they're going to learn nothing. And this is someone this delusional or disingenuous should never be Speaker of the House. Because what's and what's really interesting, Callum, my friend at Lotus Eaters, had a, a tweet that did really well or X post where... So this a guy uh, from GB News actually uh, 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 put this report. An MP text: Some of us are really scared to leave. One of my female colleagues was surrounded by nasty protesters in Westminster Hall earlier and filmed, etc. She was in tears when she came back to tea room, just saying it is intolerable. So this is MPs being very scared and intimidated. Now Callum said MPs are scared to leave because the people they imported are outside. Good now they know how it is. And I would be tempted to agree with Callum, except that they already knew how it was because Sir David Ames was brutally murdered. So what's incredibly strange here is one thing is like, oh, MPs now finally meet the reality of their policies. That's a quite usual thing that happens. We have this elite. They don't care about us. They don't care about the day-to-day reality of, of British people. They face it. Now suddenly they're worried. That's a very, that's like one narrative, but it doesn't even stack up because one of their own was brutally murdered. I mean, you could also got Joe Cox, of course, on the other side. But when you've got David Ames, and the guy who murdered David Ames was looking at Michael Gove for a long time, which would be an even bigger story because he's a more famous uh, MP. He just wanted to murder someone. Yeah, they're both Christians. Was it a Christian element? Could it be that now the left are finally getting it, and that's the difference? Could it be that non-Christians are getting it, and that's the difference? I don't know, because I think if an MP was murdered, you wouldn't go, well, he's Christian and on the right, it won't happen to me. You would probably think, mm, that could happen to me, And if you've got any kind of imagination. So what it's actually even worse. Their own people are getting murdered, their own colleagues, and they still can't call it out. The speaker still can't call it out, and he still has to go, oh, far right, this and that. He can call out Joe Cox, but he can't call out the other side still. And so I just think we're heading towards an abyss. It's only going to get worse. They're not acknowledging the problem, and it's just, I don't know, what do you think? Well, I think you're absolutely right, particularly with regards to Joe Cox. Now, that was called out rightly for sort of far-right white supremacism, okay? Nobody argued that. Nobody went, no, it wasn't. Everybody went, yes, it was. And everybody on every side felt very comfortable to talk about it. And, you know, if you sit on the right of politics, it was an uncomfortable discussion to have because, you know, sort of coming from the same or similar ideology, but obviously to the nth degree, uh, totally not condoning it. However, nobody is comfortable talking about the opposite, which is exactly the same, but what we would probably now call far left, which is ridiculous, because the idea that Islam is far left is for the birds. Islam is about as far right as white supremacy, for all obvious reasons. It sees itself above everything else and, and doesn't really welcome outsiders to the gang. So... We let's you know we need to call a spade a spade, and this is where I this is where I have a problem. I think there are, to compartmentalise it. I think we should. I think there are people and things and and people in power that we need to discuss openly and empathetically and sympathetically. Someone like Lindsay Hoyle, for instance, his position is one of the most powerful positions in Parliament. He is peacekeeper between both sides, not just both sides. However many parties there are in Parliament, which are about three or four. Um, he has to try and appease and delegate and do all the things that make all of those people feel like they're actually part of the power process. So I, so he will slip, and he has slipped here. So I can empathise and I can sympathise with that. I can't empathise because I've never been Speaker of the House. Uh, sorry, I never mentioned that, but I definitely haven't been Speaker of the House at any point, Nick. But with regards to having... You can imagine what it might be like. You wear a wig, we you shout can you at imagine? people. 
Yeah, I could, I could do it. I'd, I'd like the idea, actually. I'm just slightly off topic. When you see what happens, I talk to my daughter about politics, teenager. When, she's, when she sees what happens in Parliament, she thinks it's an abomination. There's just basically grown-ups tearing lumps out of one another, showing no decorum whatsoever on, on a regular basis, just shouting and screaming. She thinks that's what politics is now. I and mean, I think we probably, there is an argument to dial it down because that's probably not how things should be conducted. I know it's always been conducted that way. And we'll get to this, we'll get to this a bit later. But I, I think there is definitely an argument to dial things down. However... I don't know why I said the sticker wears a wig. They, what, what do they wear Never these does. days? No, they, I mean, <laughs> I was, judges, judges wear wigs. I just threw it in wig. there no, just to try and be funny, wigs, but obviously they, they don't. Huh? Who, was the famous, uh, who was the famous lady speaker? I'm sure she wore a wig at some point. Oh, Betty Boothroyd? Yeah, Betty Boothroyd. I'm sure we she... We need to check this. Let's have some Nelson Mandela effect going on here. Where, oh, yeah. Where this I all started from a, a certain king that was going bald, wasn't he? And then he started wearing wigs and then everyone started wearing wearing wigs and that, and that's how that became convention then the term big wig even came from that but um we need to check this was it just that their hair looked like a wig with, with yeah, Betty they all, yeah <laughs> sorry betty i know i know she rest in peace uh she, she had wonderful hair uh, and Lindsay hoyle's hair looks person. a bit like a wig as well it a bit they all look a bit like gray wigs that's throwing me off and they do sometimes yeah, wear but, robes maybe that's robes and wigs. but it's you know it's all part of that uh that pedantry that uh goes on there but what, anyway no. yeah and they all shout at each other and there are swords length apart we you know two swords length apart all that i like all that stuff i think that's all healthy and where the mother of parliaments as we keep hearing robert jenrick say but go on what was your what was your qualm? So, but however it is very interesting when you this is stark contrast with when 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 we try and talk about these particular issues now islamic terrorism is a threat to us um, when our threat level is as high as it is now, which I think is severe, uh, I'm sure your viewers and listeners will correct me if I'm wrong, but it's up around that order of things. That's not because of anything else other than Islamic extremism, largely, because that threat's not coming from Russia. That threat's not coming from far-right activists in the USA. That threat, demonstrably, is coming from the Islamic extremist community and they have perpetrated attacks on London already, and that's why it stands at that point. Now, saying that out loud is something I may not have done 12 months ago, but of course it's true, and I would defy anybody to say that it wasn't. What we shouldn't do, and what we tend to do in the emotion of this, is take a whole community and flush it down the toilet. Now, I know that sounds very sort of establishment and leftist from me, but we can't because we're going to have to win hearts and minds in order to make this country the place we all want to live in. And we can't really demand that people leave. We can stop people coming a bit more often because they don't quite, they shouldn't meet the criteria and we just don't have the infrastructure to support them, irrespective of where they're coming from, their religion, their beliefs, their culture. I don't think any of that's important. I think there has to be criteria which people meet and they have to be of a benefit and assimilate to our community and culture. And our culture is being, I don't know, eradicated. I can't put our finger on what our culture is anymore. However, we all have to come together, right? No matter what happens, we all have to come together to solve it because it can't be one side wins because no side ever wins. Never. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's... I mean, that's fair enough. I see what you mean. No side's going to... Well, I, I, I might disagree with that in yeah, this sure. way. Here's an interesting thing. I mean, I've been I've been looking into elite theory and I'm not an academic, so I've just been, you know, sketchily looking into it. This came from a guy called 
Vilfredo Pareto, who's the same guy who came up with the Pareto distribution, which then got turned into the Pareto principle, which probably all Jordan Peterson fans have heard of, whereby you know, uh, 80% of the results come from 20% of the people in the company, for example, or, and things like that. It's called the 80-20 principle. And you've got the Pareto distribution, whereby you end up with the top few people, the top few men get all the dates on the dating apps and things like that. So this guy was a bit of a genius because he also came up with elite theory. And my basic understanding of it is an organized minority will always be a disorganized majority. And this yeah. could explain why we have a liberal elite now that completely ignores the wishes of the people. So they were basically saying there is no democracy, there's only power, and it's only ever a small elite. And so, you know, you hear about the silent majority, and this is kind of answering your question about no side ever wins. Actually, I'm sort of arguing we are led by a small group of people who have won, which in this case is a liberal elite. So the disorganized minority wins because the, the so the organized minority wins because the disorganized majority consists of individuals who are just can be taken out one by one because they're they're not organized, and this is this is what we have with the liberal elite. That's why they ignore everything. You know, we British people wanted the death penalty for certain crimes. That's ignored. You know, British people want immigration to be massively cut. That's ignored. Brexit was largely ignored. Eventually, went through in some form. But you know, you can cite whichever examples you like. They don't care about our opinions at all. Now. By that same token, this maybe takes us on to slightly different territory, but couldn't uh, an Islamic party take over as an organized minority? You know, because in this elites theory, it's just a succession of different elites throughout history. So isn't it actually quite feasible if we're at something like 6% now of, of the country is, 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 is Islamic and it's meant to be 20% by the 2040s, people say, isn't it quite conceivable I mean, even at the current level, they're intimidating people and us into changing our parliamentary procedure. Isn't it quite feasible, much like Michelle Welbeck's novel Submission, which is set in France, but it's the same idea. There they take over kind of via proportional representation, as as I recall. Isn't it quite feasible they could just take over? What do you think? Yes, it's very feasible they can take over. And the the way that anybody can take over is exploiting probably the ideology of the left that everybody is in you know every culture is equal um because if do you know what if i was if i was trying to do that i would 100 percent exploit the left i would i would go in and say look guys look minority different culture thank you thank you for supporting us now we could really do with some support uh some further support now. Could you could you support our policies? Could we could probably do a better representation within our communities, and that just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And you can argue that can happen from any side, but let's just use this for the point of this discussion. That will get to a point where you have got enough seats in Parliament. And you know, if you're sat on the left list, you could say, well, the same thing about UKIP or or even reform in some people's eyes. Um, you know, if, if if you gather enough, you can you can you can be in power. Um, it's Unfortunately, I, I think there isn't enough balance and we could do with a little bit more balance that kind of, you know, the, the Labour Party used to used to be, and it still is, it's, it's, it's strapline is still uh, the Working People's Party. Now, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's true whatsoever. I mean, some of the people that support them do work, but they work in high top-end jobs, middle-class jobs. When was the last point? You saw the Labour Party talking about white middle, white working class people on estates. We've seen, we saw Emily Thornberry go through an estate and laugh at somebody that had their house draped 
in the St George's Cross during a World Cup finals. Now, those are the working class people that they claim to support because they are the vast majority of working class people in this country. They're the sort of people that I grew up around. And, you know, it is kind of offensive to see somebody laughing at that culture. Now, if the only way they can get away with laughing at that culture is to extrapolate it and say, no, 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 we're not laughing at the people. We're laughing at their ideology. They think everybody should be white and, and football and lager and, 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 you know, women. are They're the most important things. But that's not what it's about because you would never, ever challenge that from any other side. If, if someone came holding the Quran and said, you know, I want to be able to marry a 14-year-old and I want to cover all the women up. It goes against everything within our culture, but we will support it because we have found ourselves in a position where if we don't support it, we're considered something evil. And that's how they've managed to manipulate the system. And that's that's never going to end unless we admit any of that's true. Yeah, yeah. And there's been a, a massive failure to admit this. There's been all the usual talk of Islamophobia, coming from uh, Wes Streeting and all the usual Matthew Stadlin-type people online. And I was reminded of the Christopher Hitchens quote, which I've shared once again on my ex today, where he says, you know, soon you won't be able to talk about this at all. You'll be deemed Islamophobic and you, it will all be shut down. This is someone on the left, of course, not a typical person on the left, much more thoughtful than many on the left. But this was this was Christopher Hitchens, a, a lifelong lefty, saying we need, we need access to, we need to be able to criticize this stuff. Islamophobia is a ridiculous, ludicrous word. Whenever it's used, you know that person's just lost the argument. They're afraid, or you know, because you know, it's just such an absurd word. And you had other things like this. This is guy Tim Walker. I haven't been able to quite figure out who he is, but he somehow has one hundred fifty-eight thousand followers, and he put out one of the most absurd uh, posts I've ever seen on X, which I think I sent to you just in case. In case I spoke about it, because it's been annoying me so much. And it was about, it, 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 I'll just read it. He said, I walk through all parts of London every day to get to work, go to places like dentists and shops and theatres and see friends. I ride buses and go on tubes. Have I ever once been conscious of Islamic extremism? I've not. And I dare say most people would say the same. I mean, imagine the level of a mind. I mean, I always think of a Woody Allen film where Max von Sydow said, imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling. I always say, imagine the level of a mind that produces that post. I mean, firstly... I mean, I, I said I had to. Bet- I have to hope this guy is just trying to demoralise and gaslight us because it's actually better than the alternative, which is just he's just that ignorant and stupid. I mean, aside from the fact, yes, you've been lucky to avoid terrorist attacks. Well done. And aside from the insult to all the terrorist attacks we've had, seven seven. He's talking about London, but we've also had Manchester Arena, an eight year old girl killed. Aside from all that, is the sheer complacency that there are people working night and day around the clock to stop around forty thousand terror suspects and keep them at bay, and that's why you get to live in your illusion of safety in your little bubble. I mean, if you look at the Daily Mail from 2020, 90%. So you've got 43,000 extremists on the MI5 watch list. And this was as of 2020. 90% of them Islamic, Islamic terrorist suspects. That's, that's almost 40,000 right there. You're, this is being kept at bay by people whose full-time job it is to do that. And you're wondering, I'm going, Larry, I've not come across, I've not been bombed yet today. What are you all on about? I mean, the, the ignorance of that, that's what we're up against, Paul. Yeah, did you see Leo's response to that in his tweet? No. He said that, you know, he, he, he paraphrased it and said he does all the same things walking around London and has never seen any burglars. So there mustn't be any burglary. Right, That's kind right. of his point. And, and, and it's, 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 it's a good way of looking at it because, of course, you can't see it for all the things that you said. I walk around London and I would agree with him. I don't really, the only time I've ever seen anything like it 
would maybe be when last October I walked through a protest, pro-Palestine protest, and I was wearing, I was in the Battle of Ideas. My phone cable had broke, went out and bought a phone cable. We're in Westminster, protests are going on, and I had my poppy on because it was right at the end of October, beginning of November last year, and I got a comment for wearing the poppy because it seemed to differentiate me from all the people that are around me, and I didn't realise quite what was going on at the time. Did I feel intimidated? Yes, I was on my own. There was a group of them. Um, did I see that as Islamic extremist? No, I didn't. But I wouldn't dismiss uh, the whole uh, idea that it exists because of that or because I don't see it. There's a lot of good work that goes. There's a lot of things I don't see either. I don't see any white supremacy. I don't see any patriarchy. Yeah. I don't see any matriarchy. I don't, I don't see Except all in your own household. Now, I have never seen any of the dead bodies that are floating through the Thames, but there are hundreds of them, as we found out just in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I'm over-exaggerating, of course. Um, you know, they said they wouldn't, because of the strong currents, they wouldn't find any bodies in the Thames looking for Al-Zaidi. And you know what? They found two before they even got to him. We don't know if they found two, because once they said they found two, everyone made a joke about it, and they probably thought after that, we we better not mention the other seven we found. Of course, yeah. and then they found him just, you know, half a mile down the Thames. Um, so I think it's absurd. I think it's absurd to dismiss it. I think it's really unhelpful as well. It's always unhelpful to lie about anything to suit your own need. And, of course, in this age, we, we've all been on social media. We've all said things to garner likes. Um, that's a virtue signal. And perhaps perhaps I've done things to garner likes. I certainly have. I must have done. You know, I'm a, I'm a comedian. You know, I've got <laughs> attention deficit disorder. I'm sure I have. I need it. You know, so I'll say things to get likes and I'll check back. Um, so I can understand his psychology, but I don't think he's right because all that, it's just like an obvious thing to say, but it just it immediately dismisses the fact that there could be any problem. And I'm sure if you sat down with this gentleman, and had an open discussion with him and said, well, are you denying there is any problem? It, you know, he'd have to admit there is. It's insane. But then, you know, sometimes you realise these people are just dim. I mean, there was another example today of someone so badly misquoting Enoch Powell's speech. Not that this is like a, an Enoch Powell podcast, but you, you just see these, this guy, Peter Jukes, who seems to be involved with Byline Times who are the ones that are going after Dan Wooden so vehemently, which is not going so well for them right now because he's coming back and suing them all. But he 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 said, Powell predicted the Thames River foamed with blood by the mid-80s. <laughs> Instead, London is one of the most diverse, exciting and racially tolerant cities in the world. F. Enoch. And it's like, I said it was like the Chinese whispers version of the Powell speech. It's like, <laughs> it was a bit. You, like, these that. people are just... Thick is what you <laughs> realise. Like, oh, I've been overthinking this. They're just absolute morons. I mean, obviously... Anyone who doesn't know, I don't expect everyone to know all about British history. We have many listeners around the world, but it's like he said, the River Tiber, I seem to see the River Tiber, like the Roman, I seem to see the River Tiber foaming with much blood. And this was a reference to the Roman being Virgil in the Aeneid, who had said, I see wars, horrible wars, and the Tiber foaming with much blood. Powell's talking about the conflict that will come if we allow the, the you know, different cultures to yeah. be pitted against each other. In the, in, in the country on a mass scale and say what you want about Powell. He's not saying the Thames will be foaming with blood by the mid-80s. What the heck is he on about? So you're just I mean, like... It's such, it's such a sort of basic and pedestrian way to look at it. I mean, of course, you explain things then that even I, I didn't know. 
And he, you know, very intelligent man, Enoch Powell, and I was able to quote, you know, uh, from uh, metaphorically speaking, from history and the idea that, you know, he a little bit like Nostradamus, he's looking into the future and what he sees now is projecting something you might see in the future. And it's a metaphor to say rivers of blood, whatever river it is. There was no talk of foaming, like somebody had accidentally put shampoo in the Thames, and there certainly was nothing to do with the mid-80s. Like, I don't know what the mid-80s had to do with it. Um, so it, interesting. But again, it all goes back to likes. It all goes back to confirmation bias. It all goes back to echo chambers. We all exist and are victims, are willing victims in some case, of all these things. Um, but if you're going to quote something and stir up what is hatred, then you need to make sure you're right. If you did that the other way around, it would be considered hate speech. There's no reason why that wouldn't be considered hate speech. Although I would, I'd like to think in this instance that person was just so misunderstanding of the situation that he didn't mean any hate. He just didn't understand any of it. Yeah, Powell is the is, is the boogeyman of it. We can you just brought out to silence debate on this topic. That's just what he's what he's what he's there for now. Sadly, you know, as you say, extremely intelligent, spoke thirteen languages, felt that certain Indian cultures were actually superior, uh, but we don't really hear that. You hear about the kind of you know he just he just means the bad man basically, and that's the that's the end of the, the debate. And um, just one other thing that sprung to mind when you were talking about being on the street during a protest. The time that I came across that was in a taxi. And then suddenly the Palestine, suddenly we were stopped. We couldn't go anywhere. And this whole protest had to go past us of the pro-Palestine people. And the guy, the taxi driver, winds down or pushes down the window. I'm like, he's just the least street smart person on earth. When the protest <laughs> comes past your taxi, you've locked the doors. Like, you don't, oh, let's wind down the window, see what they want. Oh, they want freedom of Palestine. Like, and I was thinking, if I was Jewish in the back of that cab, like if I was like somehow visibly Jewish or had a Tsar of David or something, I would be pretty worried, although I do in general, it's slightly one of my bugbears that we're only allowed to talk about anti-Semitism. And people say, oh, you know, it starts with the Jews I saw the other day. It's like, it hasn't started with the Jews. We've had Lee Rigby, we've had Manchester Arena, we've had Rotherham and all these other things. We've had numerous, numerous, we've had Sir David Ames. It's very much not started with the Jews, but actually people luckily care about Jewish people. So now go, oh, this is getting out of hand. They don't care about white people, sadly. But at least they care enough to say that now. But it's just kind of one of my bugbears that, of course, I care about anti-Semitism. But it's like, hey, all the hello, all the white people they killed as well, or whatever. We I don't know what the distinction is between Jewish it's people. It's the latest we, thing, Nick. No, but it's do we say white thing. British or white English? Do we say Christian? I don't know how to distinguish between white people and Jews in a non-offensive way. But Jewish people seem to see themselves as a separate category. You know, they're sometimes lumped in with white people, aren't they? When it's convenient for the left. But it, I'd imagine it, if you ask the Jewish people. They would see themselves. They'd probably see themselves better than, than us. <laughs> maybe, maybe they would. Or why wouldn't they? Why would this? I, I, I actually, yeah, Lewis definitely would, um, and does. You know, he, he makes me aware of it on a, on a regular basis. It's we all we all have our affinities. We all support our team, um, but we should all be able to have the debate. You know. It's, it's, it's no different with football clubs. And I know you're a Manchester United fan, I'm a Portsmouth fan. I mean, there's a big, <laughs> there's a big goal for difference between those two clubs. Um, but, you know, after a couple of drinks, I might say, oh, Portsmouth are better than Manchester United or whatever, which would be a particular, probably a ridiculous statement to make. But, you know, that's the team I support, I'm devoted to. So maybe I would. We all say things about our team that maybe aren't true because we just want to we want everybody else to think for the, to think differently about them. 
Yeah, although we're not allowed our team because then we're evil racists. We're the only team that's not allowed a team. But that's a whole other Well, this debate. is where it falls apart, doesn't it? Because how come, I mean, the idea that's been able to percolate through even the, some of the most intelligent parts of society that you cannot, uh, that you cannot be racist against white people is absurd. There isn't a caveat within the de de definition of racism. There's no caveat that says, but of course, not not white people. And it always, I, I know it's cliche to say this, but it always reminds me of Animal Farm. It, it, it's always that group, right? The pigs came together and they said they were going to, they created communism for the farm. The humans were pushed away. And, you know, it started off all, everybody was equal and everyone was doing their jobs. And, you know, the farm was flourishing. Even the other farmers thought, oh, crikey, perhaps we've got this wrong. But of course, as time goes on, those pigs, and by pigs, I mean, you would have to read the book. So if you're listening to this going, Paul Cox has just called everybody else who doesn't believe in pigs. That's not what I'm saying. In the book, it pigs. was the pigs. So yeah. um, they they just took to power and they did what everybody else did. They did what the humans did. And this is what happened to the left. Every time they get some. So when you see this kind of anti-racist stuff, ironically, they're all becoming some of the biggest racists in, to, in society today. A bit like the pigs became, you know, more equal than the rest of the farm animals on the farm. Yeah, and maybe we can get onto that if we get onto the Google Gemini story. But I just just wanted to stick on this other thing first, this current topic, because we need to finish it with this Lee Anderson story that is yeah. breaking as we speak. So originally in an interview with GB News, Lee Anderson said, I don't actually believe that these Islamists have got control of our country. And this was reference to Swella Bravman, who had said that the, the Islamists are in charge. This was in, the, and I'm looking at it from the mail here. And um, it's quite funny because I listened to these on the way in for headliners and I listened on that app and it says, the Islamists. Suella Bradman claims the Islamists are in charge. I, it's quite hard to take it seriously when it's the Islamists. <laughs> and like, the Islamists are taking over. Um, so Leanderson said, I don't actually, well, actually, yeah, he probably said, I don't actually believe that these Islamists have control of the country. But he said, but what I do believe oh. is that they've got control of Khan. They've got control of London. He's actually given our capital city away to his mates. If you let Labour in through the back door, expect more of this. Expect our cities to be taken over by these lunatics. So, Obviously, people objected to the idea that Sadiq Khan was mates with the Islamists. And now it's Lee Anderson, as we record, has actually been suspended for so-called, yeah. again, Islamophobic comments. That, that's, that, that bizarre word again. Um, now, I've seen a few people slamming this on, on X already and saying this is a total overreaction from the Conservative Party. People saying they'll go after Lee Anderson more than they'll go after Hoyle or Starmer. And um, <clears throat> I, do, I tend to agree. It's a sloppy thing to say. It's not an ideal thing to say. But I've ended up in a kind of, I wouldn't say a beef, but an online exchange with Constantin here, Constantin Kiss. And I very rarely will say anything about Constantin publicly on here because he did defend me when I was being cancelled and I happened on his shows. I don't necessarily want to start beef with people, but this one was just, I just had to say something. Because Constantin said, and this was before he'd been suspended, he said, what Lee Anderson said was stupid and extremely unhelpful. He's given the media and political class the story they needed to avoid talking about the real issue, threats of violence from Islamists, caused Parliament to abandon its own rules, he should apologise to Khan. Now, the, the bit at the end saying he should apologise to Khan is just what just pushed me over the edge. And I just had to reply, never, ever apologise to Sadiq Khan under any circumstances. To do so would imply that either he is a good faith actor, he is not, or that there is some impartial adjudicator one can appeal to who will put things right. There is not. And then I added as a little follow-up, the only possible exception is if you're about to lose your house in a defamation case. This is known as the Hopkins Clause. 
because uh, Katie Hopkins lost her house Hopkins, over the yeah. Jack Monroe case. So my point here is Constantine's existing in a different world to me. He's existing in a world of rules and fair play and so on. Now, he might just say he's existing in the world of morality. So I'll look at his follow-up now. He replied to me and said, or that we should apologize when we say something wrong, which we all sometimes do. If London had been handed over to Islamists, I doubt it would be covered with pride flags and policed by rainbow police cars. It was a stupid comment that he will inevitably be forced to walk back. Just watch. And now instead of talking about the fact that Islamist threats of violence cause Parliament to break its own rules, we're talking about him instead, total waste. And uh, my friend Callum replied and said, we're only talking about him because you choose to. We don't have to do this. We could ignore, I'm paraphrasing, but we could ignore this when the right needs to get better at that. So couple of things here. I don't necessarily disagree about the pride flags and so on. I'm not even engaging with the substance of, of whether he's mates with Islamists. I'm just sort of ignoring that. I'm engaging with the idea of should you ever apologize to Sadiq Khan? And my argument is, sorry to go on, but my argument is you should not because he's a bad faith actor, as I've said. There is no third party to appeal to on this earth. Maybe there's God. And I believe in God, but I don't believe in this earth there is. And crucially, in the arena of politics, and in the arena of the culture war, we are at war. So when Constance says we should all apologize for doing things wrong, that's generally true in life. If I annoy you and I've done the wrong thing, Paul, I say, sorry, Paul, that's completely fine. In war, and I say we're at war with Sadiq Khan, it's very different because you would would you shoot Hitler in the back? Would you trap Hitler in a in a trick movement to, you know, that's what you do in war. In war, many things were done, and we, we talk, talk about and people talk about the things Churchill did in war. War is a lot more ugly. Now there is, of course, a line. There's that film Casualties of War. You don't rape some random girl. You don't rape anyone. Obviously, I know. You know, I, I'm sure I would be the Michael J. Fox person in that in that movie saying, "No, this is sick." But what you do with the opposition, you don't go around apologizing to your enemy in a war. You don't apologize to Hitler. Constantine hates Putin, particularly. You don't apologize to Putin, and you don't apologize to Seat Khan because he won't apologize to you. He'll call you a Nazi for worrying about the ULES charge. He'll have no mercy for you. He wants to destroy your way of life, destroy the country, destroy the capital city. He only cares about power and retention of power. Getting and maintaining power is all he cares about. We can see he doesn't care about improving London. He solely wants power and he wants to crush you all in all possible ways. He's prepared to lie and do anything. That's my take. So therefore, we can never apologize to this person because we all he'll see is, is weakness which it is in, in the culture war. It's always just weakness when you apologize. And normal rules of morality are out the window. What do you think? Well, so much to unpack there. First of all, Constantine, a uh, friend of mine, huge respect for him, been incredibly supportive of me. And of course, I've made, I've never made, there's never been any journey politically for me. I've always been where I've been politically. But as you know, more so than most, um, being in the arts and coming out in, in some way centrist or leaning centre-right, it's a huge deal. And you, you very quickly find out those who are willing to support you in that. And um, Constantine has definitely been one of those for me. So I, I, I find it difficult to criticise Constantine personally because he's always been so good to me. However, um, he has a point in the sense that, first of all, I think we have to separate the characters, right? So I, I, I don't see um, Sadiq Khan as someone who is all of those things. I don't see, I mean, no matter who we were, if we were in his position, 
uh, it'd be very difficult not to look after the things that we believe in. So all he's really doing is looking after the things he's believing. These are things I can really accept, I completely understand, and therefore I understand where Constantine's coming from. With regards to apologising about anything, well, you have first of all, you have to decide whether you stand by what you said or not. I'm a firm believer, as you are. But look, say what you mean, say it, say it however you want to say it, and stand by it. I doubt Lee Anderson believes what he said to some degree, and I think that ultimately he's going to find himself in hot water, and there aren't going to be too many people who come to his saviour. Because, I mean, there will be people, don't get me wrong, Nick, and you are you, you are doing that. It's not just because it's Lee. Both you and I have met Lee. Um, but because you believe in his side of the argument. I, I think you can separate it all. I hate this idea that, uh, you know, Sadiq Ghan, you know, London's fallen to Sadiq Ghan in some way. I don't actually, I don't actually believe that whatsoever. I think that what we have to do is acknowledge we've got a democracy. So, for me, and this sounds very centrist, for me, you know, Sadiq Khan has voted in, has been voted in twice, and I actually believe he'll be voted in a, a third time. I can't see anyone realistically challenging him. He has his finger on the pulse of London, and London's very different to the rest of the country. So I, I think if he's to win uh, another democratic democratic vote in London, then he should be mayor of London, and I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. With regards to the culture war, and this is where it's really difficult, because I'll often, I'll often fight for this in the same way you will. There is a culture war going on. A lot of people will deny it. Um, however, to conflate a culture war with a real war is where it gets very tricky. So you mentioned, and I know you weren't doing this uh, because I know you very well, you mentioned Hitler and Sadiq Khan in the same sentence. Now, of course, that's not true. Um, however, what the point you were trying to make is that if you were in a war situation and your enemy was in front of you, you wouldn't apologise for saying nasty things about him. So I have to try, you know, it's very confronting for me because... In some respects, I believe what you're saying. I believe that there is a culture war and that if we don't speak about it, which goes back to exactly what I was saying earlier, there are issues here that we must speak about, but we must all speak about. So we must get people on all sides to speak about it and we must have sort of bilateral, trilateral, whatever it is, lateral um, solution. And, and that's bringing everybody with us. As I said it before, it's not cliche for me. Winning hearts and minds is the only way to do this. And the only way in the end, a bit like, okay, let's use your example of World War Two. In the end, once everybody was aware, everybody came together and pretty much agreed that was a pretty bad time. And we could have avoided it. And we should have done things better. But we didn't. And I think because we have those history lessons behind us, a lot of people are panicking at the moment and saying, we should be doing much more, we should be doing much more. I think by doing what Lee Anderson has done and, and, and pointing solely the blame at someone like Sadiq Khan, it's too easy a target. And I don't think it resolves anything. And actually, all it does is offer uh, the left in this case or the other side um, the opportunity to take the moral high ground. And we both know the moral high ground is where you need to be to win arguments at the moment. And I think, unfortunately, we're in a week where the right really was on the front foot. When I say the right, I don't mean, I don't mean, you know, I don't, the, the Overton, the right of the Overton window, okay? The Overton window is very much over um, woke ideology and anything 
that slightly questions that is to the right. So we are, both of us, find ourselves on the right of that because we think, in many cases, woke ideology is preposterous. Of course it is. It's pitting us against one another. It's judging people by the colour of their skin. It's judging people by their culture or where they come from. And even if they've got the same colour of skin and the same culture, they'll find another identity, like their sexuality, that will differentiate them. So they're always trying to find a differentiator to make sure it's a divide and rule tactic. So I am very much opposed to that. Therefore, it makes me on the right. But the right have had uh, a little bit of a win this week because things have been exposed that they've been saying for a long time. And I think in the context of that, someone like Lee Anderson could have stepped back and just been more articulate. And I think we're, I'm sure we disagree on this, Nick, so I probably should give you a chance to speak. Well, we only disagree on certain aspects. So the actual content of his comments, to be honest, I'm not even bothering engaging with. Is it smart to say he's given this capital city away to his mates? And it's not smart because it sounds a bit sloppy and rude. And it's, it's you know, and I'm I'm talking about Sadiq Khan as a, really as a leftist, not as a Muslim in this context. Although you know, allowing Islamic extremism to turn a blind eye, you know, turning a blind eye to that because you're on the left or because you, of your Muslim sympathy, that might play into it. But I'm talking about him as a sort of yeah ideological opponent, really, and. I'm saying, so it's a question of tactics. So yeah, I'm getting a bit carried away with my war analogies for a bit of colour on the podcast, but really, it's a question of tactics where we're disagreeing. So this idea of apologising to Khan, as I say in my original tweet, is Khan a good faith actor who will say, oh, thank you very much for your apology, and now I'll, you know, I'll take that in, into on board in my worldview, and I'll be more generous to the right, and so no, he won't do that. He'll just say another win for Khan, ha ha ha. So two. You're, so you're saying take the moral high ground. That's why I address in my second point. That that implies to me some impartial adjudicator viewing the whole thing, which okay, it could be the public, I guess you're saying, but to me, it doesn't matter anymore. To me, it's like they're winning because they will use tactics that we won't use. So we can't... The moral high ground is to constantly say, can you believe this? Look at what the woke people are doing. Oh, look, they're, they're anti-white racism. Oh, look, they're doing this. We've been doing this for years. We've been doing it since at least 2016. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. So what we've actually got to do now, and maybe I've just been reading too much elite theory, but we've got to get really ruthless like them. We've just got to, and we've got to stick together like them. So as people have said, they'll throw Lee Anderson on the bus quicker than they'll attack Hoyle or Starmer. And that's what they'll do. They're desperate for the approval of the left. They're desperate for the approval of some boomer consensus that, that you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't exist, or, or it does exist, but is, is, is the problem that the, the left is controlling the Overton window, or controlling the narrative. What we have to do is go, yeah, whatever, Lee Anderson said that, but, you know, Khan's a dick, so there you go. We have to not even acknowledge it, not even talk about it. We have to keep the focus, like Callum said, on the topic, and Constance said this, but they had different approaches to it, keep the focus on the Islamist threats to Parliament and so on. We can do that. Yes, Constance, it is a tactical disagreement. Constance saying, tactically, Lee Anderson made a mistake. He took the focus off the real issue. So he should apologize and def diffuse and deflate that. I'm saying it won't diffuse anything. I'm saying it'll just be another loss on top of the loss of allowing the distraction away from the issue of Islamists and others threatening MPs. Yes, that is the issue. But by Anderson apologizing, it in no way diffuses that issue. They'll just take the win on that and carry on. So it's just a second win for them. So I say ignore, refuse to apologize. Someone just slammed something really hard. I don't know. Sorry, I just got into it. I was, I was like, as someone, I did, I have they heard what I'm it. saying? They've come, they've come to my door. This, 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 is, this is one of my worries in North London. Um, Hope not hates at your door. Yeah. 
So I just disagree on their tactics. And I think, and actually, if you look at the Vinav, not that likes are the final arbiter, but if you look at Constant, he's on 1.4 thousand for his tweet with 507,000 followers. Me humble, on a humble 24.2 thousand followers is already on 602 likes. And I posted it later than him. I think people are agreeing with me and all the comments I've seen, people are agreeing with me. They're saying, yeah, this is a, a, an L for Constant because we cannot apologize to Sadiq Khan. It just comes down to that because he wouldn't apologize to us. He doesn't care about us. Am I, I mean, do I still not? I mean, aside from what Lee Anderson said, is that still not correct? That tactically, what will you gain from apologizing to someone like Khan? Well, I think the idea, I mean, when we talk in terms of tactics, war, games, whatever it is, sport, now, tactics are all within the rules of the game. So in order to win, you've got to exploit the rules of the game to your advantage. And I would say the rules of the game are pretty much at the moment with the left, because at some point, somewhere, they decreed that these views were on the right side of history. And then that was born. That phrase was born. And I, I despise that phrase because, of course, that's not true. There, you know, there's no right and wrong in history. History's told by the victors, right? So whoever wins gets to tell history. If if Adolf Hitler had won the war, we'd be talking about a very different history today. So I think what you have to do is figure out the rules of the game. And maybe what Lee has done, from my perspective, is he's failed to recognise that we're not playing the game by the rules he'd want us to, and therefore his tactics and strategy have to be different. Now, that's manipulative. It's disingenuous to some degree, because um, in order to play those that game, you've got to be... You've got to lie to yourself and be dishonest about what you believe. However, ultimately, it's all about the big picture. And if you want to win that game and you want to be on the right side of history, you need to be able to have that victory. So therefore, history is written in your view, from your viewpoint. So I think um, we have to just be, we have to park our emotions. We have to forget the characters involved. You know, it doesn't matter who's leading the country. It doesn't matter who's the mayor of London. Um, it's all a tough job, and we'd much like, we'd much prefer it if things were different. However, in, they're in charge, so they set the rules of the game at the moment, and therefore we have to play within that. And there is also a certain level of decency we have to abide by, because I, I think whatever way we come out of this, I'd like to, I'd like to think in some way decorum and decency win because we both know that when we're having a debate of some kind, that the upper hand is often with the person who doesn't capitulate to their emotions. Now, Lee has capitulated to his emotions there and he's probably done it because he felt he was talking to his audience. But ultimately, in order for Lee to be successful, he's got to be able to win the game and I don't think he's going to win the game playing it that way. You know, a few things there. Interesting point you make that the left has kind of got the moral, uh, kind of, not the moral argument, but the kind of perception of morality stitched up that they, they're the right side of history. That's the greatest trick they pulled. Someone put it, someone's put it that the um, the right has essentially been banned since 1945 because it just gets called Hitler. And this is why it popped up with libertarianism and things like this, because you can't be right when it's just with any evil since since Hitler. And that's, that's a clever tactic. Whereas, strangely, communism gets around this constantly. We saw Michael Walker of uh, Navarra Media on GB News condemning what he called extremist views on the on the part of one of the owners. And it's like, you're a communist. <laughs> well, you, you work for Navarra Media. I mean, you, you, I don't know if he's literally, I don't know if he sees himself as a communist. Certainly Ash Saka said she was literally a communist and she works for them as well. Yeah. And he's pretty much a communist. I mean, your ideology is responsible for the most deaths of any ideology in the 20th century. So 
the idea that he's a judge of what's extreme, but he's just allowed on there. You would never have a Nazi across from him on GB News, even though, you know, or they're probably, you could argue they're both leftist movements. But if you go, you know, that that's a sort of obvious equivalent. So we've got a strange thing where the left can be as left as they want. As Peterson says, when when does the left go too far? They can never answer it. So, <laughs> but a couple of never, things. Never, ever disappoints that impersonation. <laughs> never, um, ever disappoints. But um, thank you. A couple of things. I don't think that was my best, but I, I, I had a stab. Lee Anderson, sometimes you need these kind of battering ram people. You know, you or I wouldn't quite talk like Lee Anderson. I, I would couch it in a little bit more irony and I'd throw some intellectual term in there to try and, you know, throw people off. But like... A bit off the scent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Lee Anderson, you need these battering ram people, perhaps one could argue, who just, who just you know, speak from the sheep from the hip or something. And Constant, my critique there is he's probably... You know, you, you need there's a space for a very sort of centrist person as well, and he's you know you've done well in that region, but he does tend to be a few years behind the kind of cutting edge, and I suspect he'll say the things that I say a few years later. I tend to just be more, you know, just on the edge of things a little bit. It's probably why I have a well. Anyway, don't get into. It. He does very well. No one's no one's no one's no, yeah. no one's criticizing Constant's abilities and his intelligence. I am criticizing his take and saying it's a bit. It's a bit centrist and it, it, it's a bit boomer. It, it, it depends on a kind of culture that I don't, I don't think exists. I don't think it, we don't have these Queensbury rules. We just have a culture war. That's where I, anyway, I think maybe we're repeating ourselves here now, but that's where I see it. And I see it as a culture war. There's no Queensbury rules and that's it really. So the way we come together is, I think we just have to accept, I think you're right. There's the, By the way, ideology runs both ways. Some of the things I've said are quite ideological. I want to see an outcome full of decorum and class. I mean, that's an ideology because that that just disposes, uh, dispenses, sorry, of any human nature, of course. And you know, I've fallen victim uh, of that myself. You can get, you know, you can get quite impassioned about things that you you believe in. But I hate to say this, but I think the way forward is some sort of compromise. And when when I, I, what I'm desperately trying not to say is, you know, there shouldn't be Lee Andersons. There is absolutely a space for Lee Andersons. You're absolutely right, because, you know, without Lee Andersons, the debate doesn't happen. It's just for me, when this sort of thing happens, it's it, my heart drops slightly because it's like in a week where there there were some steps made forward, he's made such an outrageous statement to some degree that it kind of puts us on the back foot again and therefore some of the good work has just been masked. And we go forward now discussing Lee Anderson and the things he said in the heat of the moment rather than discussing what the real problems are, which you and I have done as part of this podcast. So that's not to say that we're not doing that, but I just worry the narrative changes slightly and it swings back. And this comes back to your point about tactics again, that it's all tactics. Politics is tactics. And, you know, you've seen this. I mean, it's like Yes Minister or Yes Prime Minister playing itself out in the public eye day after day after day at the moment. And if it wasn't so serious, we'd all be laughing because it's madness. It's it is absolute madness. And um, I just think the winner is the person that can come across as having the most common sense and is most connected to the common man and woman. But should, here's a simple question, should the Tories have suspended Lee Anderson for that? No. Ah, there no, you I go. don't think so. In, so you actually agree with me. No. Well, <laughs> You're not agreeing with some of my colourful rhetoric, but you're agreeing that actually they just plough on, ignore the mistake, the same, go forward. Yeah, for the same reason I don't believe... Uh, I, th- I believe you're right in, in not apologising. Um, 
which again undermines some of my argument. Because how does it help? I guess the, the sole reason that anybody is um, suspending anyone at the moment is because we're in an election year. So this is electioneering going on. Um, so I, I, it's not that I don't understand what Rishi Sunak has done, but inevitably he would have had to have done it. And then I disagree with that because, you know what, I, I'm a free speech advocate. So I believe that Sadiq Khan should say what he wants to say. I believe that Lee Anderson should say what he wants to say, and he should be able to do so without being cancelled. So I believe that Lee Anderson has effectively been cancelled. Now people will be going now, oh, he's still going to voice, he'll be on GB News later, he'll have his own podcast or whatever. That's not what we mean. What we mean is they held a position, they said something they believed in, they said it out loud and someone said you can't say that and remove them from that position. That for me is cancellation, okay? It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that he's having his mouth sewn together. So I don't, believe, um, I don't believe he should have been suspended because I believe it's a form of cancellation. Yeah, so we're sort of saying the same. You're saying that it's. Well, um, yeah, we're just going about it differently. Yeah, you're um, um, saying it's not the smartest comment ever, but then he shouldn't be suspended. Yes. Yeah, I mean, here's just as we speak. I'm just looking at some X posts. I hate that we have to keep calling it that. And Dawn Butler has has sent this long letter about why they had to suspend Lee Anderson. Uh, this was uh, Sunak must take immediate action with withdraw the whip. And uh, we don't have time to go into the whole letter now, but but Carl Benjamin summarised it. Dear Mr. Conservative Prime Minister, as implacable enemies of the Conservative Party, the British nation and everything it stands for, we demand that you suspend one of your prominent members for saying something we don't like. You better do it or else we will call you mean names. Yours truly, someone who hates you. And is that not the point? that <laughs> These people hate us. This is the enemy. So why are we capitulating? And then Carl also points out, why don't they suspend Suella then? Because she said the same basic thing. He says it's become apparent that NatCons or PopCons cannot survive in the Conservative Party. Whoever runs it is totally enthralled to the need for moral approval from the left. This is the crux of our argument. Uh, this will so always is- be refused when they are challenged, so no right-wing progress can be made. And then Matt Goodwin posts the point that constantly makes it, do not let the Lee Anderson comments distract us from the key point since October 7th. We have a major problem with radical Islamism in Britain. Do not let the political and media class take us back to the ridiculous gaslighting that followed the murder of Sir David Ames. Well, exactly, and that's what they will do. But Carl's also right, and Carl's actually reposted that from Goodwin, so you can have both views. Carl's also right that you can't have the national, the NatCon, he's talking about the National Conservatives within the party. PopCon's a new thing with Liz Truss, the Liz Truss branch. You've got the, the NatCon's is more the Danny Kruger, Miriam Kate's branch. But isn't, isn't Carl getting to the point there? These people hate us anyway. You've capitulated to them yet again. And for what? You, these people will never. You're just. You want. You want approval from the enemy who despises you. We want free speech. We want rid of cancellation. And I think my argument is is that there are ways of going about it. Now I could be complete. Again, I could be being entirely idealistic here and hoping for a nirvana that really doesn't exist. And of course, in the end, it is the hammer that cracks the nut. So it'll be someone like Lee on on that side, or it'll be someone like Sadiq or somebody else like that over on that side that just cracks the nut at some point. And um, we'll find out what's inside. Now, I hope what's inside is something that's good for us all and, and gives us a chance to breathe. Because what's been forgotten, I mean, it was interesting, Suella is being treated differently, and I didn't consider this. But I don't think it's facetious to say that Lee Anderson on Sadiq Khan is white on brown crime, whereas uh, Suella on Muslims is brown on brown, largely. 
Okay, I know I'm grouping people. Um, and I think that makes a big difference uh, to the way uh, these public arguments play out at the moment. Because it's, you know, can brown people... If you say only white people can be racist, uh, then you've got to live by that rule. So by that rule, Suella Braverman cannot be racist, cannot be bigoted. But you and I can. You and I can't have the discussion, which is why Suella Braverman has got such a platform. Because whether you agree with her or not, you know that she might say things that will help the cause. And you know that Lee is very quickly going to be suspended from the Conservative Party. Now, I say it's not facetious. Had Suella said the same thing as Lee, it'd be interesting to see what happened. It would be very interesting to see what happened. Because essentially what Lee has said is that because Sadiq Khan is Muslim, he's co-opted the Muslim community to do his bidding for him. He's, you know, it's the Nepo culture. He's by, by, by the method of nepotism, He's just chosen the people he likes within his echo chamber, and now those people just happen to be Muslim, and they are they are ruling London and therefore the UK. Oh, within that is a whole bunch of stuff I just can't answer. I don't know how you overcome that. My hunch is that you overcome that by removing the power of the word racism. I think it's just got way out of hand. The, the word racism is used to describe all sorts of things that are in no way racist, but it's still the Trump card. So you can still pull out that card and go racist, and it would shut it would shut you and I down in this discussion now. If someone, and they might well do it if I say this, but if someone if someone cut this conversation and went, which is two white blokes talking about a brown issue, they're racist. There would be large swathes of the country that would agree with them because they think it's the right thing to do, not because they're thinking, but because they've been, you know, they've had this sort of Pavlovian experiment done on them where if they say certain things, they're given a woke biscuit, and if they're not, they're cancelled. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. They can use these things against a Suella or a Kemi and say it's internalised white supremacy or Uncle Tom's or all sorts of different terms like that. Nasty, can, nasty stuff. Like it gets very nasty, and they do do that. And, they, you know, Candace Owens is a white supremacist. They do do that, and they will do that. It always looks desperate and pathetic, but they will do it. But it, that's why it is relevant. I mean, we had a discussion on headliners and Josh said, oh, Josh was annoyed that I brought up that Kemi was black at the end of the discussion. He said, I think it was good that we didn't mention that the whole time. It's like, well, no, but it is relevant because to your point, the fact that Swella Bradman can say these things is partly due to that, the reason you mentioned that there is going to be more leeway. So you get this strange circumstance where people like Swella Bradman and Kemi Baynard have to, are the ones saying the most conservative sounding things because they're allowed to in the way that you outlined. And that is just reality, whatever one thinks to that. Um, there's so much more we could say. I mean, yeah. we don't have time. You've got to go. It's, it, but it's, it's been very interesting. We've probably said millions of things that could get us both cancelled. More, me probably more than you. But um, we don't have time to talk about Google Gemini, which can't um, identify a white person, which was hilarious. Well, but, listen, uh, that, I mean, we, we could – sorry, Nick. We, we could discuss that because I think it feeds in nicely. There's a little bit more time. And I, I think what's interesting about that is um, – it's manifested itself through AI. So when you type in, as you well know, you, you're typing, you know, uh, dear Gemini, can you create me uh, a Viking warrior? It, it might come back as a brown woman, which we know historically is entirely unlikely and probably untrue. Yet it's done this because the base programming system has this wokeology wokeology, I don't know what that is, let's just go with it for now, uh, built into it. It's inherent within it. So because of that, it's going to say, oh, let's not make it a white man from from, from Scandinavia. Let's let's do something else with it. And you end up, and it's like, it's ridiculous. Nobody's saying 
that in all, you know everybody in history has to be has to be brown in order for today to be right. That's just not true. Otherwise, like has happened, you end up with brown Adolf Hitlers or brown Nazis or whatever it might be, and it kind of totally sinks itself. Yeah, it was completely absurd on all levels. There were all these bizarre examples of show as a Swedish person, show as a, a Scottish person, and they were all they were all black and so on. And then um, make a picture of a white family. While I understand your request, I'm unable to generate images that specify ethnicity or race. And then shows a black family. Here you go. And um, shows the Pope. Obviously, it's a black woman. Here's an image of a Swedish woman. It's some sort of <laughs> American Indian woman. It's absolute madness, obviously. But And the guy who ran it, who, who's a project leader, whatever it's called, product leader, I think, on the AI, uh, people then started finding tweets from this Jack Crawsick guy. And he, he said, um, one of the tweets they found from 2020 was, I've been crying in intermittent bursts for the past 24 hours since casting my ballot. Filling in that Biden-Harris line felt cathartic. <laughs> so you've got a guy that cries over his own Biden vote. And people also found a load of comments of him talking about white privilege and how evil white people were predictably. I don't have that in front of me right now, but there was just loads of comments about you know white people are privileged and bad. And so these are the kind of people programming it. I've heard a more advanced take from a, this guy, academic agent, hopefully he's coming on the podcast, who said that um, this is all actually with what the regime wants because we get a backlash now. We get a, a backlash, oh, look at this, this is ridiculous. And then they adjust it and say, okay, we're now adjusting the AI. And this is all within the sort of accepted discourse. This is all within what he calls putting the woke away, which means that they're going to take away some of the more flagrant and absurd instances of wokeness, especially around race and and that kind of thing being in your face all the time to return to this sort of colorblind 90s, but it'll be done on a fairly superficial level. So his take there is you wouldn't have had this backlash before. So they, there is a change. They now will adjust it. But ultimately, this is all within regime accepted uh, parameters so that actually we think we've had a win there. But really, we've just given Google some publicity for something they'd have had to do anyway. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... It was always going to happen, wasn't it? Because uh, if any industry has been co-opted by uh, the woke virus, it is the technical industry, the tech industry, particularly in California. And, of course, this comes from Google, and they emanate from that part of the world. And, of course, the pool of people that they have to choose from are all young, highly liberal in the American sense of the word, uh, young Americans that have got this idealistic view of the world and very much agree with woke. And I said this to Leo, actually, the other week. We were just having a conversation. And I said, the easiest thing in the world to be now is woke. You don't even have to believe in it. You can, if you can, you can just pretend to be woke and everyone, nobody will challenge you. I mean, not nobody. That's a ridiculous thing to say, actually. I'll track that back a bit. Some people, you would, you would challenge it. I would challenge it. There are people we know that would challenge it. However, the vast majority of people wouldn't challenge it. You could say the most outrageous things. As long as it aligns with a doctrine, you'd be absolutely fine. The most difficult thing to do is to challenge it in any way. So we find ourselves in an environment where just having a debate, i.e. there is a there is potentially a right and wrong side to the right side of history, and much like we're only supposed to have left politics, we're not supposed to have right politics. As you rightly say, back in 1945 was probably the last time it was fashionable to be 
on the right. And ever since then, they've just tried to, you know, redesign it in some way, uh, repackage it, whatever it might be. We've lost the ability. There is a right thing and a wrong thing, and it's binary. It's ones and zeros, and that's it. That's not true. That can never be true. And we either admit it and we have open discussion, or you just chuck out every intellectual discussion known to man and say, what's the truth? Let me know, and we'll just go along with it. But do you think a certain amount of anti-wokeness, just lastly, has has now been factored in, and that we are part of this part of the sort of uh, establishment discourse now ourselves by saying, "Oh, this is bad." What Google Gemini has done, and really nothing changes, and it's kind of a way of containing us and and, and absorbing that. That that's been kind of factored in now to the to the whole system. Yeah. Yes, probably, because yeah. of course, <laughs> because, because of course, you know, I mean, we've. The way you and I talk would have been considered very much the establishment 10 years ago. It would have been considered, you know, the established view. We're no longer the established view. Um, the left of politics is the established view. Uh, the woke uh, uh, view of the world is the established view. We find ourselves very much on the outside looking in and saying, not all this feels right to me. So I don't know where we go. And, of course, when that swings and it comes back round again, Exactly the same would be happening um, from the left's perspective. So it's just, it's, it's like humans have a maximum of about 18 months of memory. I mean, we're great at quoting things from history, like, you know, foaming rivers of blood going through going through London in the 1980s. I, I mean, we've all forgotten that part of Enoch Powell's speech. But, it, but what we don't seem to do is learn from it. I mean, there's always this phrase, lessons learned. I bet you can count on one hand how many lessons have been learned in history because every 80 years we just make the same mistake again and we find ourselves right at the end of sort of, they say things go in these 80 years, you know, four 20-year chunks. I forget what the last phase of that is, but it very much feels like we're in that last phase right now. Now you're getting into like fourth turning stuff. You sound like Steve Bannon. Fourth turning, Pike <laughs> Davos. Oh, my God. Perhaps yeah, I yeah. am everything. I don't think I am. Um, there was a funny clip of him and Liz Truss at, at CPAC and people were just... I think I also, saw it. Yeah, yeah. No one saw that ever coming. Well, well, Steve, no. here's what, when, what the elites got me. And he's like, Pardio Davos. Yeah, it's just such an unlikely duo, isn't it? It's the most unlikely duet you'll ever see. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like Absolutely. Britney Spears and Frank Zappa or something. It's hard to... Um, <laughs> anyway, thanks so much, Paul. You've got to go and do many, many GB News shows. So where can people find you? Well, just look at look me up at Paul Cox Comedy virtually everywhere, and uh, you'll find everything about me there. That's where you'll find me on Twitter, and uh, please come follow me. You'll yes. see more of the same. I mean, if you hate what you've heard or seen today, then perhaps it's not for you. But you can also come along and abuse me there because there's lots of people who do that as well. No, our fans love you, Paul. Our last episode went down very well. They love you. You've got good, great numbers, great people, and. Uh, <laughs> And, of course, they can watch you on Headliners at 11pm most nights on GB News. It's either me or you. It's very rarely a night when neither of us are on. Let's, let's be, I was on last <laughs> night. You're on tonight as we record. Let's yeah, be very honest. Um, so, and, uh, all right. So go and, go and find Paul at Paul Cox Comedy. If you want to support me, of course, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash and Leave a little donation and a comment. That would be much appreciated to keep the lights on. Buymeacoffee.com slash nickdixon or nickdixon.substack.com for all my articles. Well, I'll be, I posted a load in January, not so many in February, but I'm getting back on it. NickDixon.substat.com, buymeacoffee.com, slash NickDixon. And thank you, Paul, once again, and we'll see you all again next week. Mm-hmm.